Hello and welcome to The Catch. My name is Andy, I'm your host, and today is the 30th of August here in Sydney. Now, we're very excited to be back with our second episode, um, but before we begin, may I just please thank all our listeners for their feedback. We got feedback from all around the world. We're talking about Australia, New Zealand, Europe, Asia, and South America. So thank you guys so much for your feedback, and please watch this space. Now, last week in our first episode, our first leg of the journey, uh, we talked about the American election four years ago and recent highlights at the DNC. Now, in today's episode, we'll be talking about Democratic nominee Joe Biden versus President Donald Trump, recent highlights at the RNC, and with what's happening in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Now, as a quick disclaimer, any statements mentioned in this podcast are strictly personal views only, and they do not reflect any organization whatsoever. And if you guys missed out on the first episode, um, you can easily catch us on YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you you guys get your podcasts from. So we'll go straight into it. Welcome to my two guests, as always, Sam and Pat. Hello. Hi, how's it going? Hey, Andy. Excellent. So guys, we'll go straight into it. Um, So with today's agenda being Biden versus Trump, Sam, do you just want to kick us off with a casual rundown of your initial reaction when Biden got picked as a nominee? Well, I I can say um, that I had no idea that Biden would receive the nomination. Um, when me and Patrick, I guess, were watching some of the debates, um, what was quite apparent is there was so much diversity. There were so many big characters. Um, and as the debates progressed, it, it actually seemed like Biden wasn't really gaining the same kind of traction like candidates um, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. Um, I would say that he appeared to be a bit of an underdog. Um and I know, I don't know if I'm, perhaps Patrick will disagree with me on this, but I don't think we were particularly motivated by him. Our minds changed a hundred times um, as to who our favorites were. Um, I know mine did, at least. So yeah, I guess we were surprised when he, he won the nomination because he was definitely one of the, I would say, go as far to say, one of the least interesting candidates that were put in front of us. Excellent. Um, any, anything to add, Pat? No, nope. Sam's analyzed it perfectly. Awesome. All right. Well, for you, Pat, my question would be, put it simply, who is Joe Biden? Good question, Andy. Um, he, Joe Biden is um, arguably a consummate politician would be the easiest way to describe him. He's been around since the 1970s. He's a six-term senator. He's chaired and been on various committees. Um, he's often been um, within the Democratic Party one of the sort of voices of the anti-drug and anti-crime bills, often voting and and taking positions that didn't necessarily align with the Democrats themselves. So he has worked with Republicans. He's reached out um, across the aisle. Uh, Instinctively, the analysis that comes through about Joe Biden is that he's not a philosopher. Um, He is a politician who is always as far as obviously his um, his biographers and, and uh, critics and uh, people who followed him. He's always had his ear to the ground. He's always been sort of very close to the people and things like that. Now, whether he then was able to bring that into Congress um, and into the legislation is another matter, as, as always is the case. There is a bit of a detach between, say, the political world and, and the real world. Um, he's 
He's had some very unusual positions over the years as well. He voted, for example, against um, um, non-heterosexuals in the military as late as 1996, um, a position that Trump had actually at the beginning of his uh, four-year term for which he was criticized a lot. So also at the beginning, for example, of the Iraq war, Biden was um, fully behind even a principle such as regime change rather than the famous weapons of mass destruction. And he then changed his position after that as well. So it depends a little bit where you stand on Joe Biden himself or where you stand on his position. Some might argue that he's changed with the times. Other might argue that he's conveniently changed with the times, depending on what was then going to get him re-elected. Um, he's had a very interesting past. He uh, lost his first wife and one of his children in a car accident. Um, then his other son died of cancer um, in 2015, if I'm not mistaken, from his second wife. Um, so he's, he's had obviously some, a lot of family misfortunes and he's suffered a lot over time. Um, the, the way that he's presented nowadays is not as a bitter individual, but rather as a sort of a friendly grandfather from the Democrats' point of view. Um, he has admitted in his autobiographies that he struggled a lot with having, losing, having lost family members and stuff. So um, definitely an interesting character. Spinning off from what Sam said, I, I totally agree. I don't think he was any, anything sort of special. He didn't particularly inspire me with his points of view. I always found them to be very sort of neutral and sitting on the fence whenever needed. Um, but again, that comes down to a personal opinion. Did you actually say friendly grandpa? <laughs> I did, I think. I was going to say grumpy old man, but... Um... Well, six of one, half a dozen of the other, I think, yes. All right, excellent. Well, with both of you mentioning he wasn't sort of the most interesting character with the pool of candidates on the Democratic Party side, my next question for you, Sam, would be, what was his journey like against other candidates leading up to the nomination? So, if we compared him to some of the more progressive nominees, like Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, um, even Andrew Yang, I think, was quite progressive in some of his ideas as well, I would definitely say that Joe Biden was more on the moderate side of things. And like Patrick, when Patrick was going through his track record, he has had some, they are controversial, but also they, they're just a sign of the times. You, I mean, he has held a lot of, um, by today's standards, quite outdated positions on things. Um, and these positions were brought up quite a lot throughout the debates. Um, his time with Barack Obama, um, as I said, some of his more outdated positions in the Senate. Roe versus Wade, abortion rights, um, what you mentioned before about the military, um, his past positions on uh, racial segregation, which we can go into a little bit later, um, in particular with his now VP, Carmela Harris. So all of these things came up constantly throughout the debates. I would say that he handled them quite well, but as mentioned in the beginning, he really didn't stand out compared to some of the other front runners. I mean, I think it was around the second debate that people were even questioning his mental state. Um, and some of the debates, and a lot of the news um, organizations were reporting on this, and some of the debates he actually was really struggling um, with a lot of his words. I don't know if this is where the phrase Sleepy Joe came from, but I have a feeling it might be in reference to some of his um, moments throughout the debates. In fact, I even think uh, there was a time, so Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who was 
Trump's press secretary in the past, I remember she tweeted out after one of the debates, I, 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 I have absolutely no idea what Joe Biden is talking about, referencing the fact that he was stumbling um, on a lot of his words and was sometimes rambling, a little bit incoherent. Um, This did actually backfire, though, because shortly after um, the criticisms that were coming out about his performance in the debates, he actually tweeted out, that he had worked his whole life to overcome his stutter um, and that he now mentors kids who have experienced the same thing. So I actually think in the grand scheme of things, this was this worked really well for him. Um, if we look at recent events, especially the Democratic Convention, there was a really, really nice moment um, where this came into play where um, a viral video circulated of him having a moment with a little boy in a crowd who also had a stutter. Um, And this played really, really well in the press. So, yes, he wasn't perhaps the best candidate, but he really turned things around. I agree, Sam. I didn't think that he was particularly inspiring. I didn't think the platform that he was and is running on is particularly innovative. Um, he's, He's been there for a long time, and there's almost the impression that the... The party didn't want to put a very left-wing candidate, such as an Elizabeth Warren or a Bernie Sanders, that perhaps Pete Buttigieg was too young and he is also gay, so uh, they perhaps feared that, you know, with um, a middle America that might not be so forthcoming towards gay rights, he might not have been a viable candidate. Um, Kamala Harris was a potential one, but she dropped out quite early, so um, that was an interesting one. And the other two alternatives were um, Amy Klobuchar, who I, on a personal level, like quite a lot. She's a very good legislator. She's worked very hard. Not presidential material, by all means, but um, definitely a hard worker. And Michael Bloomberg, <laughs> who is... we could, Yeah, we could have a chapter all on Michael Bloomberg. But um, yes, the it would have been interesting, actually. Two New York billionaires, both of which who were instinctively Republicans running for the White House would have been very entertaining. There were so many characters though. Oh, Two billionaires. Fabulous. Fabulous. We had Beto, we had a thousand dollars a month for people, we had yeah. Medicare for all, we had Bernie yelling, we had Elizabeth Warren attacking. Yeah. And, as you said, Andrew Yang, who yeah. ran a very sort of um, progressive and sort of innovative also from a technology point of view. So um yeah, he didn't really stand out as the best possible candidate, but ultimately he won the process. So here he is. All right, excellent. So now we know who Joe Biden is. Can someone give me a rundown on how Biden differs from Trump? Well, I think if we use voters of an, as an example, like if we look into some of the research regarding the importance of different kinds of issues to Republicans and Democrats, we see two differences um, in beliefs, I guess you could say. So, for instance, the top issues for Trump supporters at the moment are the economy and crime, whereas for Biden supporters, their priorities lie with healthcare and also, interestingly enough, the coronavirus. Um, But if we do look at voters as a whole, we can see that the top three issues um, are the economy, healthcare, and Supreme Court appointments. And surprisingly enough, nothing about foreign policy. (laughs) I'm just personally interested because of my background. Has Biden explicitly mentioned any sort of approach you will take with North Korea and the sort of Asian conflicts? Very little as far as I... Yeah, it's certainly not been an emphasis of his campaign, perhaps also because of the way voters 
um, are inclined and therefore maybe there's been a sort of a tactical decision not to include it in the messaging because it wasn't really relevant. Um, I definitely haven't heard a lot about North Korea. I mm. don't really know much about that, but I definitely know that Biden has been very critical of Trump's trade war with China, um, which is essentially Trump wanted to impose tariffs on on China. That's essentially it, right? Yeah, pretty yeah. much. And China being such a big player, obviously on the world stage, but also in Southeast Asia, it's um, and also North Korea's biggest ally. So that's certainly a factor. And on top of that, I think it's quite noticeable how the not so much the candidates themselves are working, but also how the parties are working behind them. So Trump, who was historically not a Republican and not necessarily a conservative, um, the movement that Trump's helped to create or sort of galvanized um, has really taken control of the Republican Party. So for the first time in, in many years, um, and this actually has happened historically twice, and actually, Andy, another thing that's really sort of stood out is the difference between what technically the candidates stand for and how they are. And Sam, I'd like you to sort of elaborate a little bit more on this, given that perhaps Trump and Biden aren't that different as men sort of in their position or as leaders or as politicians. What's really contrasting this time around is the parties and where they're going and sort of the the uh, messaging which is coming out um and we've seen this in the, the Republican National Convention, which we're going to go into a little bit later. Um, but it's certainly pulled the messaging far more to one side and far more to the other on both sides. Um, so to answer your question, I probably wouldn't say that there's a huge difference between, say, Biden and Trump if you were to take them as individuals. But what they're standing for this time around is a very marked uh, contrast. It's- you're right. It's completely to do with the messaging um, rather than the actual policy itself. So like, if we use some recent news as an example, or even the convention, the, the recent Republican convention as an example, a massive focus um, for them seemed to be on you know law and order, um, a strong support for like police, military, the people's right to defend themselves. Whereas we, if we con, so essentially they're backing the the police um, in regards to a lot of you know the issues that are happening in the mo- at the moment. And the BLM will- protests, exactly. Um, whereas Biden, I would say, is standing more on the side of protesters, which in, in terms of their messaging, um, which makes sense to me because. Biden will be relying very heavily on the votes of African Americans. Um, so yeah, I think that they do have differences in their messaging rather than actual policy, I guess is what we're getting at. So basically not a substantial difference when it comes to policies that they're presenting. Definitely some, I, I would say the main differences that I saw were to do with immigration Um Trump has a, I would say, a zero tolerance tolerance for illegal immigration, whereas Biden is a little bit softer um, in his policies regarding this. But also the main difference that I saw as well was to do with uh, Medicare for all. Yes, exactly. Healthcare is that one issue that you can pinpoint a notable difference, perhaps healthcare and foreign policy. Um 
but yes, I, I can't think of... It, it really does come down to more how the, the parties are presenting themselves. So the, the two platforms which have just come out is essentially a message on crime is probably the biggest issue at the moment of how it, crime and the coronavirus. Right, yeah. yeah, those will be the two issues of the election. Um, with the Republicans painting the Democrats as soft on crime and... Um, they want to defund the police. Yeah, essentially they're going to put the United States in danger mm-hmm. um, whilst Trump presents it himself as a sort of a more um, we'll keep the people safe, we'll make sure the country keeps going, we'll make America great again. Um, and on, by contrast, the, the Democrats are putting themselves as we are the only hope and um, they're presenting the Republicans as somewhere in between reckless and negligent even even from my view as well I, I would i would say it's probably the two biggest cards as well covid and the whole blm protests happening right now well as mentioned it is a covid um or coronavirus is a really big issue for biden supporters and in terms of messaging this comes back to the same thing very different messages presented by both candidates um if we look at Biden's response, he's, I guess, putting out there, you know, more testing, listening to experts, employing people to help guide him. One thing that emerges that seems quite clear, as always, being in opposition is much easier than being in government. So the Democrats are taking a very strong um, stance to say, look, this administration is incompetent. And they're pushing a lot on that, and which means that obviously the, the, the protests with regards to police brutality, whether we want to call them BLM protests or not, um, they're saying, well, Trump's never going to resolve it. He's just going to keep on making mistakes. The coronavirus, the same. Trump's never going to resolve it. They keep on making mistakes. And by the other side, um, whilst you're in government, you're in a much stronger position than when you're in opposition because you're already in office. So incumbents have statistically been re-elected more often than, say, new presidents coming in because it seems like um, a rehash of that old saying, it's better the devil you know. So yeah, we know Trump, the, the kind of thing that could be the messaging would be, yeah, we know Trump is bad, but the alternative is worse. Mm-hmm. And so it comes down to political masterpiece on both mm-hmm. sides. The Trump administration is painting the Biden administration as lax, loose and dangerous. Mm-hmm. And the, the Biden uh, candidacy is doing the same with Trump but technically for their, from their point of view, with more evidence. It's a kind of a speculation versus result. Um, but again, even there, it's, it's, it's such a complex issue because in a lot of the messaging which is coming out, there at the moment, I think it's over 170,000 Americans have died out of corona, from, from coronavirus-related mm-hmm. um, illnesses or complications and things like that. Um, and what's being presented is that as if Trump had personally pressed or pulled the trigger on each and every one of these... And if you went down that sort of rationale, then everyone from like Scott Morrison to Abe in Japan to Conte in Italy and Jacinda Ardern would technically be responsible. So Jacinda Ardern would technically be responsible for those 22 or 23 people who died in New Zealand. But nobody's sort of pointing the finger at her to say, oh, she's responsible. She's a killer. But with Trump, because it's an election year and political messaging, they're saying he he if he had done something, none of these 170,000 people would have died which I think is unfair. And this was sort of um, the the way um, Obama uh, delivered his speech at the DNC last week, right, when we were talking about it, how he sort of made it sound like Trump was the sole 
responsible person behind all these thefts. Yeah. But every single one. And by contrast, yeah. the, the Republican message about um, MS-13 moving in next door and, you know, Trump giving the country over to socialists. It's the same scare tactics that they're using both sides. It's politics. It's its purest and lowest form. Wait, what's MS-13 again, sorry? Oh, it's a, a Mexican street gang which was born in California. And they're notorious because they're quite big. You sort of say that they're similar to the mafia or something like right. that in the United States. But it's like a street gang, like the Bloods and Crips in the 90s in L.A. And um, obviously the, the media feeds a lot on fear of crime and things like that. So just the words MS-13 have a connotation of danger and crime and lawlessness and things. Exactly. It was definitely a very clear message um, at the recent Republican convention um, that if Biden were to be elected, that the police would be abolished, there would be havoc, chaos on the streets, which, well, arguably is happening at the there. moment. <laughs> but um, yeah, that was definitely um, one of the messages um, at the convention. So, yeah. And they're playing on the fact that there are also notable socialists in the Democratic that camp. That is so funny to me. Biden? No, no, no. I mean, I mean more so um, people like Warren and Sanders. Oh, One yeah. of the things that they've alleged is that Biden's made a deal with um, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren um, and the lefting, left side of the party um, to sort of usher them in through the back door, you know? A vote for Biden is a vote for socialism. That's the message it's they're so... presenting. Yeah. And it, can I just say, oh, yeah, on this? Yeah. there was one thing that I saw the other day. I don't know. I must have been doing some research and obviously the algorithms come up. I keep getting banners now from the reelect Trump campaign. And the message there, it says, are you a socialist or an American? It's a, it's a binary choice, which most electors are going to go, of course, I'm an American. So I'm not the other one. And you could have put the word socialist. You could have put the word. They really hate that nurse. word. Yes, it's, socialist. It's, it's, it's the worst for them. I don't actually think they know how to paint Biden. I think the messaging about Biden, I don't even know if this is to do with policy, but the messaging around Biden has changed so much um, leading up to the election. He's a crazy socialist. Sleepy. He's a racist. He's sleepy. sleepy. He's... Do you think they're sort of, you know, always changing their messaging around Biden because they can't find an image that sticks uh, for a long time? To a certain extent, yes. Because he's not, he is not, he is not, I mean, look at his track record. He is old school. Mm. And you can see this time and a, time and time again through his track record. Mm-hmm. Um, super old school. No, I wouldn't say conservative. Some have been. A, uh, I'd say more establishment than establishment, conservative. Yeah. He's certainly not a radical. He's certainly not looked to revolutionize neither in his actions or his message like for example bernie sanders had called for a you know proper revolution mm-hmm. um in a sanders way of course um but yeah i agree the message doesn't seem to it, it took a while for, i think for them to the message to stick because they were first painting biden as old but he's only four <laughs> years older than trump yeah and then they painted him as incoherent and sleepy and uh, trump is has a very his very own way of answering questions and and uh and responding and Sometimes he does digress from the original point. Um, and then they started attacking him on, let's say, his voting record. But again, 
he'd, he'd done some policies which were welcomed by Republicans, so they, yeah. they realised. So now it's come down to painting whatever ails are in America, the socialist left, mm-hmm. the Black, uh, Black Lives Matter protests, or things like that, as a result of Biden or Biden scheming to subvert the order of America and get themselves in. It's become that dramatic. I think they're just really pushing for this image that if you don't vote for us, it's going to get worse. But it basically, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. All right, cool. And news of the week. Let's talk about RNC and the shooting in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Um, in particular with the RNC, before you guys jump in, I personally found um, Melania Trump's speech a bit funny. And I, I and apologize in advance to our listeners who expect me to be a bit neutral, but I just found the speech a bit funny. Um, what were your highlights? Well, what do you think were the highlights and key speeches at the RNC this week? Well, I actually enjoyed Melania's speech. Actually, I was surprised by it. I'm going to say that I was surprised by Melania's speech. Good choice. Because I would say everyone who... The people that I saw speaking at the convention, all very on brand, very supportive of President Trump. Same sort of um, focus on the issues that obviously they wanted to talk about. Um, Like I said, it goes back to the law and order kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So yes, everyone was very on brand. What I was surprised was to hear Melania talk about the coronavirus and how it has impacted people and her addressing frontline staff who were working, medical professionals I think she addressed as well, which to me was surprising because one of the main criticisms that Trump has received in regards to coronavirus is that he hasn't really taken it that seriously. So up until a couple of months ago, he was even refusing to be seen wearing a mask in public. He's pushed these sort of conspiracy theories about taking certain medications to to actually stop the virus. He's even criticized, you know, health professionals that he hired um, to provide his administration with advice and hasn't really been that open to taking on any of, um, I guess, their advice in general. So to hear her even talk about the coronavirus and its impact when, to me, it seems like Republicans in general have been very quick to gloss over it, not really acknowledge it, um, kind of call it a hoax. To me, that was kind of surprising. I was like, did she get the message? I don't, I don't know. Maybe you'll disagree with me. I was surprised. I was just surprised to hear her mention it at all. That's what I'm trying to say. Could it possibly mean that, you know, they're trying to win votes by showing that they care about and they're taking control of COVID-19? It didn't really make a massive appearance throughout the whole convention. I didn't really hear a lot of people talking, framing issues around coronavirus. It was more framing issues around the economy, framing issues around law, framing issues around the protest. I didn't really hear anyone uh, framing the issues around the coronavirus, um, if that makes sense. Okay. And Pat? So, like last week, Andy, I think I'll pick two moments if I can. Um, There was a lot of very almost scary rhetoric coming Mm -hmm. out of a lot of speakers about how apocalyptic the world will be if Joe Biden gets elected president. Um, that, That, for me, was a big one. 
Um, the other thing would have been seeing, uh, I tell you what, seeing the woman who I believe will be the 2024 nominee for the Republicans, uh, Nikki Haley, deliver her speech. Right. And it was a big contrast towards the apocalyptic side. Her and Tim Scott delivered a very sober, um, presidential-sounding message. Um, her speech it, stood out to me, though. She's a very good speaker. I can imagine her energizing. Oh yeah, she, I she, mean, if any, if Trump obviously. Yeah. Well, he's not going to be able to run for a third exactly. term anyway. So the Republicans, I think, are lining her up for twenty twenty four. She's yeah. got a wealth of experience. Mm-hmm. She was um, governor of South Carolina, if I'm not mistaken. She was the UN US. She was right. Yeah. To the UN. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say that name sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah. She's she's definitely got political clout. She's got experience. Um, political clout. Thank you. Uh, yeah, she's got political clout. <laughs> I like that. I didn't think that. that Patrick would know those kind of things. <laughs> He's a bit weird. He's trying to be up with the times. Yes. He knows. He tries. But yeah, you, you think um, Nikki Haley could possibly be the, you know, the nominee for 2024? Interesting. I think so. The, the Republican Party has had a very, very unusual route mm-hmm. um, in the last 12, 16 well, years. Yeah. yeah. Um, ever since Bush won the election in 2000. It's it's been on a real journey, and a lot of these sort of older establishment Republicans lost touch, and we saw this with the emergence of the Tea Party, for example, movement during the Obama administration. So there's definitely sort of a more of a grassroots conservative movement which is coming up in contrast to the grassroots very sort of progressive movement that's growing up as well. So America is changing; mm-hmm. the parties, as always, take a little bit longer to change. A bit slower. Okay. All right, and lastly, the police shooting in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Um, just very briefly, guys, from either one of you, um, what was the reaction from both sides, Biden and Trump? Very different. Yes, very different. As Sorry to be so vague. Yeah. Uh, a particular, I guess, um, ex- actually, this goes back to what we were talking about, about how if we were using CNN and Fox as an example about how these kinds of news organizations frame topics differently to suit the agenda of the people that yeah that the people that tune in and listen to them um so if we look at cnn very different saying obviously they were on the side of um not not even the no, not wasn't. even the protesters they all they took the side which they knew was going to feed into the democratic narrative yeah. That's and, when, and Fox did the same exactly for the Republicans. Actually, Tucker Carlson. Carlson that's it. Um, he has come under a bit of scrutiny in the last day or so. Who is he? He's a very prominent Fox News. Right. Host. Okay. Yeah. Um, Tucker Carlson has come under scrutiny in the last two days for praising a seventeen-year-old to cross the border in order to. Counter protest, yeah, yeah, like sort of like vigilante justice. Yeah. In his head, he um, went to attend the protests yeah. to help the police out with law and order, um, but he ended up shooting some of the protesters. Three people, three people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so Tucker Carlson has come out um, on his segment and almost praised the seventeen-year-old, no, no. saying, "Wow, look at." Um, how 
amazing it, how horrible no, it is oh, yeah how yeah look at how horrible it is that we have to rely on 17 year olds to def- to defend the police and you know take care of these crazy protesters which which in itself is a bit of a catch-22 because yeah. you know if biden was in power now then you could run with it you know take it to the end zone and say well look what he's doing to america but it's really hard to say you know Biden equals danger when all of this is happening at the moment and under not a Trump presidency. Correct, exactly, and not being able to say, well, hold on a sec. And it's because neither side has impartiality. So, as we were saying before, CNN will feed into, oh, what are the Democrats going to, what stance are the Democrats going to take? Right, we'll do that. And Fox, by comparison, the same. What stance mm-hmm. is Trump going to take? We'll do that. Because it feel, feeds into the narrative of what each side is saying. Um, from my point of view, the, the the weirdest and probably scariest thing was seeing the video of this seventeen year old with a gun strapped to his um, over his shoulder, holding his hands up, walking towards the police. But he's got a rifle. You know, it's a semi-automatic or an automatic yeah. rifle. It's something that you hold with two hands. It's something that the military uses. And he's walking towards the police in the middle of a riot. Granted, with his hands up, but his weapon is extremely visible. And um, that's such a marked contrast to, for example, the shooting um, which sparked all of this off, where the guy was not following the police's commands, rightly or wrongly, whether they were entitled to tell him to stop or a second or that. He walks away with, from them. He's got his back turned to them, and he leans into the car to get something. The audios come out of what the officers alleged that they saw, and one says that there was a gun, the other one says, I'm not sure there was a gun. And if you contrast this with the guy who's walking down the street with a gun strapped himself in the middle of a riot. He never didn't even get stopped. Hmm. He was allowed to go home. He slept in his own bed that night. So that unfortunately has inflamed the whole situation because anybody who is, you know, looks at this and looks at, you know, issues of white privilege or um, double standards by the police can't not jump to a negative conclusion. And it's uh, unfortunately for the police or law enforcement in the States, it's another own goal. They've, they've shot themselves in the foot. Sorry to use a gun analogy, but they really have. Definitely showing double standards for sure. Oh, yes. Had they arrested this guy straight away on the spot and pinned him down to the ground and, you know, used some of the heavy-handed tactics slash police brutality that's mm. often alleged in these circumstances, at least a lot of people would have gone, well, at least they're doing it to everyone. Yeah. But in this case, it's... it's it's open, it opens even more wounds. Definitely raises questions and eyebrows. Okay. Well, anything else to add to news of the week, guys? All right. So that's a wrap for episode two. Thank you guys for listening in today. Um, just a bit of summary. We talked about um, Democratic nominee Joe Biden versus President Donald Trump. Uh, the sort of differences in policies and the career and highlights of Joe Biden of how he got here. Um, now, next week, we're going to be talking about Democrats versus Republicans, sort of the you know operating mechanics behind these two ideologies. Um, so in the first episode, we talked about the election four years ago. Today, we talked about the two current um, candidates running against each other. So next week, if you're, if, you're, if you're the type of person who goes, why, 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 um, next week might be very helpful in terms of clearing those questions. Um, as usual, if you guys have any feedback, please you know just send us a message or leave a comment. Otherwise, see you soon.